I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, and I, and I think it's interesting that you say it can be intimidating when you see a lot of other people teaching it. Um, my personal course is in the LSAT, which is in probably one of the most hyper-competitive spaces, test prep, uh, for online education. There are huge companies serving that space and tons of people doing it. And yet, 15 years in, I've got a course that's still successful doing it, and I put virtually no effort into it at this point. And I think the reason is, it is a competitive space. So there is a lot of, of demand in that space as well. And so I think sometimes people get intimidated to go into a competitive space. They might think, you know what, there's a ton of people teaching yoga or uh, a ton of people teaching finance. How, how could I get into that space or, or what would what would make me different in that space? But it's often the really competitive spaces where there's great opportunity, uh, especially if you can figure out a, a few ways that you're different within that space. So I think one is not being intimidated by these spaces that are competitive or where there are other people in them because uh, that's often where some of the biggest opportunities lie. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't also do something different, uh, of course, in a space that's not so competitive and look for opportunity there. But don't be super intimidated by the idea that there's competition because that is there because there's opportunity there. And then dive in and figure out how you're going to be different within that space. Uh, and, and I think we all have our unique way of presenting things. So it's, it's unlikely that you're going to go and teach the LSAT or finance or hula hooping or or painting in exactly the same way as someone else. You have something unique to bring and and just own that. And then in terms of identifying and, and finding your audience, uh, I mean, there's so many ways to do it. And I see people doing it in a lot of different ways for their courses. But I think the key there is generally pick one one or two and don't follow always the latest trend or tactic in that how you day how you day that was the voice of greg now greg's the founder of thinkific thinkific is the platform i use to host my course full disclosure and i've hosted a bunch of courses there and i've loved the ease of use and functionality to use them but one of the reasons i want to have uh you know greg on the show other than you know to explain why it's important to be able to market your services is just the idea of what it's like to take an idea to execution and build a team around that i found his story fascinating because he really just got to the crux of what it's like to understand people and make sure people understand your value a lot of times when people are trying to grow their team, they look for the wrong things. They don't look for what's important and what's sustainable. And Greg does a great job of, you know, not only talking about how he learned from that, but also highlighting how that's important for a foundational aspect of your company. So if you're an entrepreneur, you're someone that has great ideas, someone that wants to get in front of different audiences, definitely check out this podcast. And as you know, when you're trying to market across different cultures, digital media is one of the best ways to do that. Hope you enjoy the episode. Until next time, use your difference to make a difference. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is 
the CEO and co-founder of Thinkific.com, Greg Smith. We're going to be diving into his background as a lawyer, instructor, and a lifelong student. He has taught thousands of students online and helped them create their own online courses. And today, you know, as we are thinking about, obviously, the, the new decade, whether this episode comes out in 2019 or 2020, I want you all to start to think of different ways to leverage your income stream, but also your expertise. And Greg is one of the best people to do that. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks. Appreciate being here. Really, uh, thanks for having me. The pleasure is mine. So why don't you get us started into how you got to where you are right now as the CEO and co-founder of thinkofit.com? Because the journey, I feel like, has a lot of nuggets for people to peel and learn from. And you have an interest in one, especially as a former lawyer. Yeah, happy to. I um, it, It's been an interesting one for sure, because I never really thought I would end up here getting started. Um, but, uh, you going back, I guess, uh, I, I did business school, started a few little side project type companies, uh, eventually ended up in law school, uh, practiced law for three years. Uh, but before that, while I was in law school, I started teaching an LSAT course. So I was teaching and tutoring on the side, just a way to pay tuition and try and reduce my student loans. And as part of that, eventually I ended up putting together a blog to help my students. Cause what I found is when I was teaching and tutoring, uh, I would always have the same kind of conversations over and over again, especially in the first couple of hours I would spend trying to help someone out. Uh, or if I was teaching a weekend class, it was, it was very repetitive, like a lot of teaching. So I put together uh, a blog to kind of cover the repetitive stuff. And I would say, Oh, just start there. And eventually that turned into an online course. And of course this was 15 years ago. So we, there really wasn't much out there that made it easy to build an online course, especially if you were wanting what I wanted, which was I wanted my brand, my business, control over my data and my content, and I wanted it to be a course that related to a business and basically about uh, helping people but also generating revenue for the business. So we kind of built our own solution, just mashing together WordPress and PayPal and other things. And uh, I was lucky. My brother's a software developer, so he helped me with that. But in doing so, realized it's really hard to get that up and running and it's actually hard to maintain it all. And you kind of need like a, a software team basically to keep that going. So that was the impetus behind, uh, in part behind building Thinkific was solving my own problem. And then the other thing that happened is I went from there and started practicing law. I practiced for three years in securities and capital markets. And throughout that time, I had this online course running as just an automated side project, but in addition to the students taking it, I had other people reaching out saying, I really want to do what you're doing. I want my own course with my own brand on my own site. I want to use it to build my business or create a business. And so we built Thinkific for those people to say, all right, you've got a skill or a knowledge or a passion or some expertise you want to share with the world. Let's make it really, really easy for you to get this up and running so you don't need to have a software development team or a brother who's a developer. Uh, and that's really how we got started with Thinkific. Well, yeah, one of the things that I've been noticing with a lot of entrepreneurs and myself included is it starts from a problem. You know, sometimes the problem is often personal. You know, the idea is I want to fix something. I want to solve something. And then as you start to do that, if you do that successfully, people start to you know, relate to that and say, wow, I love what you did. Can you do that on a scalable level? And I just that's what I think entrepreneurship is. It's fixing problems or solving problems. Yeah, I agree. And and we continue to do that to stay. And, and it's funny, it, we're now almost eight years later uh, from getting started. And when we build software, we try and frame everything as a customer problem or need or opportunity. And so 
we're still in this mode of let's look around for the biggest problems our customers are facing and, and solve them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So solving problems is one thing. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more because one of the problems I know that people have is figuring out how to make their courses stand out. But before that, there's this idea of brand identity. And I've heard you say that a clear brand identity is the key to success. Can you elaborate on that? A, a clear brand identity. Yeah. I, I mean, we've worked a lot at Thinkific to, to clarify what our brand identity is. And I, and I see, I think the same thing in course creators where, um, if you invest a little in, in identifying how you're unique and how you're different. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm not a super expert in branding, but I've, I, I think one of the things that I see work well is if it's the, you know, the kind of thing that's going to be really exciting to a unique or focused group or a smaller group of people and might even be off putting to others, you're probably heading in the right direction. And, um, on the other side of the coin, if you're creating a, a brand where it's going to be for everyone, <laughs> it's probably not going to work as well. So it's, yeah. it's actually usually about going more niche or, or more focused in, you know, who is my, I think it's, uh, is it Seth, Seth Godin who says your minimum viable audience or your, uh, that, that group of people, uh, that you can really get excited about your brand and your mission and the things that you're doing, uh, and finding that group that's super, super keen on exactly what you're, what you're sharing and what you're presenting and what you're creating. Yeah. No, no. Seth Godin also talks about the concept of the purple cow and also identifying your tribes, essentially your audiences. It, it, but with online marketing and courses, the reason why I, I wanted to really hone in on this and talk about the brand identity is it can feel intimidating given the plethora of options that exist. So let me give you an example. Someone in the audience is thinking, I've got this specific skill that I know that I could teach. How can I first you know, determine what my brand is and then how can I find out where they are? How can I find out where my audience is? You know, I don't want to just launch a course on a platform and have no one buy it. What right. would be the best practices uh, for those type of things where you can actually pair your brand into online marketing? Yeah, and I, and I think it's interesting that you say it can be intimidating when you see a lot of other people teaching it. Um, my personal course is in the LSAT, which is in probably one of the most hyper-competitive spaces, test prep, uh, for online education. There are huge companies serving that space and tons of people doing it. And yet, 15 years in, I've got a course that's still successful doing it, and I put virtually no effort into it at this point. And I think the reason is, it is a competitive space. So there is a lot of, of demand in that space as well. And so I think sometimes people get intimidated to go into a competitive space. They might think, you know what, there's a ton of people teaching yoga or uh, a ton of people teaching finance. How, how could I get into that space or, or what would what would make me different in that space? But it's often the really competitive spaces where there's great opportunity, uh, especially if you can figure out a, a few ways that you're different within that space. So I think one is not being intimidated by these spaces that are competitive or where there are other people in them, because uh, that's often where some of the biggest opportunities lie. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't also do something different, uh, of course, in a space that's not so competitive and look for opportunity there. But don't be super intimidated by the idea that there's competition because that is there because there's opportunity there. And then dive in and figure out how you're going to be different within that space. Uh, and, and I think we all have our unique way of presenting things. So it's, it's unlikely that you're going to go and teach the LSAT or finance or hula hooping or, or painting in exactly the same way as someone else. You have something unique to bring and, and just own that. And then in terms of identifying and, and finding your audience, 
Uh, I mean, so many ways to do it. And I see people doing it in a lot of different ways for their courses. But I think the key there is generally pick one, one or two, and don't follow always the latest trend or tactic in that I hear people, um, they'll hear that someone got 100,000 Instagram followers with a specific technique or tactic, and then they launched their course and they sold $200,000 in the first week. And they'll go, okay, great. That's what I'm going to do. Instagram is the solution to selling my course. But if Instagram isn't the right audience for you or your course or your message or your brand, then it may not work as well for you. Um, and then the other risk there is that every time you hear that tactic that someone's using, you go try and copy it, but you're trying to do everything all at once. You're doing a, so you heard about someone doing Instagram. So you do some of that. You heard about someone doing Facebook ads. So you're doing a bit of that and five other different things. I think to me, the key is you pick one where you think your audience hangs out, where you think your message resonates, where you start to see some traction, and then you go really deep there and really focus on that. And so that might be Instagram. It might be blogging. It might be YouTube. It might be, uh, ads in some cases. Uh, but for me, it's, I think you pick one Make sure that's a place where you can connect with your audience. Uh, if you start to see some traction there, then go really deep on that one and you can use that to build your audience. And often I'll tell people to start doing that even before you build and launch and sell a course because it's so much easier to launch from a platform or from your own uh, existing audience than it is to try and start from scratch. The one one exception to that where you can launch often from scratch or get something going or start selling a business or a product or a course or a membership from scratch is if you start working with influencers and uh, essentially affiliates where you can partner up with people and say, you know, I don't have an audience, but I've got this great product. I think it's a good fit for your audience. How can we partner up and work together? And that's one place where I can see people not only build their own audience, but be able to sell to someone else's audience uh, very, very quickly. Uh, yeah, you dropped so many things there. So what I heard was self-awareness is very important. You need to understand who you are, your style, but also even the behavior of the audience you're intending to reach out to. So it's not enough for you to hear, oh, Instagram worked for that person, so that means it must work for me. You need to know what it is that you you bring to the table and how that can work with the intended audience you have. And in order for you to do that, you still have to research them and understand who they are and what their pain points are. Yes, there are a bunch of LSAT courses, but what is it that you bring that's different? How is it that you connect? And so that element of connection is something that doesn't go away uh, in the early stages. You know, it's not, you can't just be creating the courses without figuring out how to connect simultaneously. Exactly. And I think that's where it can often be helpful to be the real life one-on-one -on -one practitioner as well. So I, I think a lot of us are looking for the quick win and we try and just go straight online and, and do everything online. And that's great. And I've definitely seen people see amazing and shocking success doing it. But if you can add into that or, or keep some one-on-one -on -one work with people, the amount you can learn in those one-on-one -on -one conversations. So for example, with me tutoring the LSAT, I continued to tutor people one-on-one -on -one long after I launched the online course. And I would continue to get great feedback as to what was working, what wasn't working, what their problems were back to that sort of problem idea we started with. And that would allow me to create better and better courses and even better and better marketing because they would say, here's the biggest problem I'm struggling with. And this is why I'm calling you as an LSAT tutor. And I'd say, great, I'm going to write a blog post on that. People will Google that because you're not the only one with that problem. And then they'll find me. I'll, I'll make a YouTube video on it too. People will find me through search and then I'll solve their problem with my course. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really is as much as uh, it's like, like as much work as it takes to be an investigative journalist or to be a detective. And the reason I say this is with my line of work, right? I, I run a diversity and inclusion firm and my job is to essentially understand how different sets of people perceive certain things and how they like to be connected, what makes people feel included or excluded. And that involves what? Asking questions, embedding yourself in different environments, doing research, figuring out what's missing, what's the lack, and, and what would there be more of? What has worked in the past? What doesn't work now? What are the trends saying? And it's the same sort of thing. If you're trying to actually understand your students, you need to go to the places where your students already are and figure out what it is that they wish they had and then cultivate the relationships, whether it's in the form of brand partnerships or in the form of actually you just you doing the, the time to actually establish that relationship so that they can take that chance on you. And then once you're successful with those few, you know, your, your core few, they start doing the marketing for you. Right. Yeah. And I, and I love what you talked about in terms of asking the questions. And, um, I mean, I see some, some people, uh, Todd Herman's a good example of it where after he sells a product, uh, especially online, he will call those people up and ask them a few key questions to continue that learning cycle for him. So he'll ask, you know, what was the one key piece of content that resonated the most with you? Or there's a lot of options out there. Why did you choose me? Or, you know, ask questions like that, that continue that learning, continue. It's both connection with someone who just decided to work with you. Uh, but it's also then learning from them so you can do better in the future for the next people who come to you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now with you and obviously this platform you built, is that it's eight years, right? Uh, yeah, well, coming up in a couple of months, it'll be eight years since we got started. I'd say the first three years were us really um, mess messing around and screwing things up. Uh, but uh, but about three years in, it started to take off. Well, let, let's go. Let's go back to those screwing things up moment because that's the other thing. I, I know I've heard you say something about you should don't be don't be afraid to launch something that you may be embarrassed by or something to that concept. That idea of figuring out who you were as a company you know, moving from individual to employee and building a team. I'm curious about that aspect. Could you explain to us how you finally found clarity and how you figured out what was working and what wasn't? Yeah. And I would say, you know, it, it was three, maybe even four years that we were really messing around and, and making a lot of mistakes and we could have done it so much faster. So big learning for me was in those early days, we would, we actually had a theory that what we wanted to do was exactly what we're doing right now, which is kind of like Shopify for online courses or, you know, your brand, your site, your message, your content, your business, e-commerce and, and you and a very self-serve, easy to use platform to get up and running. But in the process of getting there, you know, the technology wasn't quite there for us to do it. We didn't have the team to launch that right away. So we tried a few other business models from a marketplace to a much more service oriented to like a revenue share royalty model, which we don't do now. Um, and I'd say the biggest learning from that is we were probably too slow to talk to our users, identify their problems and make sure that we were getting, that we were actually solving a, a real problem for enough, um, enough of an audience that they really cared and had a problem there. And so we would, we would iterate on something for months before putting it in front of a customer or before really figuring out that it wasn't going to be a good product market fit. So the biggest learning I had coming out of that was to get things in front of customers as fast as possible, even if it's literally on the back of a napkin or a piece of paper or a whiteboard and say, hey, 
does this solve a big pain point for you and really focus on solving those pain points and problems for customers as opposed to just taking your vision and building it in a, you know, in a secret office for a year and then presenting it to the world and finding out then that maybe it doesn't solve the biggest problem. Um, so for us, we tried a bunch of different models and it wasn't really until we hit upon this sort of sign up, self-serve, uh, essentially we're the software team that you wish you had that launches your own online course on a site. Once we actually hit on that, then everything took off and worked well. But in those early days, it was a lot of try and fail, try and fail, uh, with these different models. And we did move pretty quickly, but I, I think going back, we probably could have done all of that learning in six months instead of three and a half years. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. And, and okay. in those learnings, you figured out you need to get more things in front of customers first so you can try quickly fail quickly and also figure out how to adjust but the individual team part how do you figure out who's best to work with how do you get people to buy into your idea what was that like oh yeah on the team side um that was interesting so early days we we hired largely on luck and gut <laughs> so lucky as to like whoever came along to the job posting and and gut in the interview process of ah seems like this person would be good to work with and we actually got quite lucky in that some of those earliest people are still here um my cto and my coo uh, chief technology officer and chief operating officer are both still here today and they started in those first few years so we got pretty lucky on that but we also realized pretty early on that luck and gut wasn't going to carry us through the team building. And so if I could go back and do it all over again, I would be much more intentional right out of the gate as to how we hired people and even how we sourced people. I think one of the challenges is if you're, if you're not putting a lot of effort into generating a pipeline of candidates or getting a lot of people interested in a, in a job posting, you will end up sort of just taking whoever comes along, because if you only have three applicants, you're going to pick the best of three. If you have 20 applicants, you've got a much wider audience to pick the best of 20. Um, so generating a better pipeline and just, that just means in, investing a bit more and making sure people know about the posting and that it's an opportunity, uh, or even cold calling and outreach and, and trying to find people to apply for it. And then the other is the more intentional on how you hire and, and what you're looking for. And, a lot of tools on that, but probably the biggest for us is top grading. And, um, we use, there's a book called who W H O by G H smart that we use now. Um, and we've all, anyone who does hiring here at Thinkific is trained on this and we make sure that we're really intentional about digging in, not so much to like a role play or what would you do in this scenario or how would you handle this, but much more a look back at their employment history uh, because I, I do think past performance is indicative of, of future performance. So when you dig into their past, you get a lot more clarity on on what they're going to be like to work with and if they have the skill sets to to do the role that you're hiring for. So being super intentional about how you hire and find people. And then the other piece that we changed even further on uh, was being very intentional about our core values and our culture. And once you get that in place, then uh, you almost create this mechanism where the right fits are attracted to your your group and the wrong fits are sort of self ejected from it. And it doesn't mean that they're not good people or can't fit in elsewhere, but you create a core values and culture that are really important to you and people who align with that will, will stick around. Um, and then the one note on the core values is it's not about sameness. Like one thing we ask in interviews is, is what would you add and what would you bring to our culture? So we're not just looking for you want everyone to be, you know, this cut from the same mold. In fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's what can you add to and what can, what, how are you additive to our culture? What could you bring to it? Yeah. Yeah. It, 
I, I always love hearing this because, you know, one of the things you you're a CEO and I, you hear a lot about pipeline issues. You hear a lot about how can we spend money on diversity inclusion? It's taken away from the business. And I'm hearing you talk about how intentional you are from the beginning. And the reason why I really want to continue to stay on this is I want people to understand that it does take an investment. Right? You have. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 50% women, if I believe. Uh, yeah, a little over that and, and say over 50% women in leadership as well. Exactly. And you put this thing in foundation and in motion from the very beginning. You know, you talked about the job descriptions. You talked about figuring out how to expand the the talent pool in, in, the, in, the, in the pipeline. And then you talked about the intentionality you place in that. And frankly, you talked about the investment that you put into that. Why do you think that some CEOs see it differently, though? Because I don't think the investment is spent on the team aspect early on and most most of it seems to be spent on the product or the service yeah and it's it's that's an interesting one for me because i think it is such a positive return on investment in that the investment doesn't have to be huge it's not hard to do and yet the bottom line if like if you really want to it's not why we started doing it it's not really why we do it but if you actually want to just go down to to numbers the financial return on having a diverse team is wonderful. Like you, there's not much else I think you can do to have uh, a, that level of positive return uh, for such a small investment. I mean, it, it sure it takes work and it takes intentionality and it takes a bit of effort to try and make these things happen. Um, the biggest thing I would say is just measure it. Like we all measure our revenue, and that's important to us. And so revenue goes up. Uh, but if you measure measure diversity. Uh, that will naturally put it out there to your whole team that this matters to us. We're going to measure it and we're going to move it in the right direction. But the the crazy thing to me is people who shy at the idea of investing in it because it truly does help the bottom line. And so even if you don't care about uh, diversity, which we should, it it even has a financial return in that you don't want a bunch of like-minded people sitting around a table brainstorming the next product or solution to a problem that you're building. You want people of radically different backgrounds with different viewpoints and you will end up with such better solutions when you do that. So, I mean, to me, the, the investment here is a no brainer. It, it, it really has an amazing return and it's something that, that people should be investing in. Um, because the return is, is not only amazing, it's, it's very, very quick. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And, and that's well said. And then, you know, I, I just love when CEOs actually say that because sometimes from my perspective or, you know, a perspective of, of a consultant who also runs his own com company, 
it can be seen as, oh, of course you would say that because <laughs> I've heard people say that to me. But <laughs> yeah. I, you know, yeah, of course you would say that. That's what you do. And look at you. Look at who you are. But the thing is, I, when you say it, you know, you, you being someone who's run the company, but also uh, being um, a white male and understanding that it's not going it's not a one you know one size fits all approach but it's also not this thing where you if you add a diverse team you're taking away an opportunity from you know um you know a, a white cis jail a cisgender male a person it's 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 actually a value add and it doesn't have to be something that you think is going to go to the detriment of your company and i think that mindset is really really detrimental but it's also destructive on all levels of life where it's competitive to the point where you don't want to give anybody an opportunity and you miss out on growth. Yeah. And it's, it, um, there are so many, like I mentioned the different ideas around the table, but the other thing that's, I think so hard to even refute is, um, in terms of the return on your investment there is if you think about all you're, you're looking, you're obviously looking for the best talent in the world to join your team. Yes. And if you cut off half the people or 75% of the people, um, because you're not, and, and I don't think I'm hoping that there's a lot less employers that are just straight out cutting people out of the process because they're different. I think, I think it's more that they're trying to figure out how to be more inclusive. And if you're not doing a good job of that, you're unintentionally or unconscious bias, uh, cutting out 20% or 50% or 75% of your potential applicants and potential new teammates. And that means you're cutting out that 50% of amazing hires who could bring something amazing to your team. You've just yeah. reduced your entire talent pool. It's like you may as well just move to a small town and, and build your company based only on who's available in the small town. You're not going to have the same talent pool. So the, the broader you go in terms of your diverse search for talent, uh, the better your team is going to end up being. It's, it's like it's irrefutable evidence of that. Right. No, I agree. And what we've talked a lot about right now is diversity. But what about the inclusion? So you have all these, uh, you have a diverse team, you say. Yeah. How do you make them feel included, though? Because that's, uh, that's a little different. Yeah, it is. You're right. And that's and then there's another benefit from that of, of building a team that people want to be a part of that you your our retention of, of teammates is amazing because we're inclusive. So just to jump right to the benefits, there's huge benefits of being inclusive because people stick around longer. They're more loyal. And especially like, let's say you're, we're in Vancouver, but if you're building a company in Silicon Valley and you have a more inclusive culture than your competitors and your employees stay around for another year or another decade because of that, uh, the, the value, the financial value of that is, is wonderful. Um, plus it just makes for a lot more fun place to work for everybody. Um, but how we're inclusive, I'd say it starts with talking about it. And, and I think that just being like, I would say inclusivity, diversity comes up. We do a town hall every month in front of the whole, with the whole company. And we talk about it at every single town hall to some extent or another. Now it might just be a couple of minutes, uh, but it's always brought up. And I think just being part of that conversation, uh, across the company and making it okay to talk about means that. Because we're not perfect in our inclusivity. I mean, there's always going to be incidents where someone says something wrong, does something wrong, uh, I make a mistake, somebody doesn't feel included in one way or another. Uh, but if you create a culture where it's talked about, then you can improve it. And and 
acknowledge to your team that, you know, it's not perfect. We're always working on it. It's never going to be perfect, but it's a safe place to talk about it and improve it. And, and that's okay. And it's a good thing. And I think creating that culture where it's talked about means that inevitably solutions will arise. Cause the reality is I don't have, I'm not an, an inclusion expert. I don't have all the solutions, but my role is to talk about it and to put it out there and say that we want to talk about this. We're going to make mistakes, but let's talk about it and then let's solve it. And then the team will bring up the issues, uh, come up with the ideas to make it better and implement them. And so it's a constant state of improving it because it's safe to talk about it. Yeah. Creating spaces for open dialogue and allowing more people to be involved in the process just because that, you know, gets a better end result. So, um, no, that, that's good. That's good. That's good. So let's go back to the business aspect of this. I'm sure the people yeah. here who are thinking of launching courses, but what do you, th what do you think is uh, the best way to outline a course and to actually, you know, create the material? How do you go about it? You have the big idea and what's the best way to make sure that it's structured? Yeah, well, it, this ties back a little bit to how I build software and how I'd, if I were to go back and build Thinkific all over again, I would, I would get things in front of people faster than I did in the first place. Uh, I would do, I do the same with courses. So when I'm outlining a course, uh, I can often just do it on, on one page. So I've got, I, I start with at the top, what is the transformation or the change or the outcome or the difference I want to see in someone's life or what do they want to see? Because people aren't buying a course from you or a membership from you because they want to watch a bunch of videos um, or even because they want to learn something that you know. They're really doing it because they want the transformation. Um, it's, you know, if, if you're teaching someone how to write code in some new software programming language, they don't really care that much about knowing the new language. What they care about is the things it'll allow them to do or the promotion it'll allow them to get. So I start with that at the top of the page. What's the difference someone wants in their life? Do they want to be more fit? Do they want to be able to spend more time with their kids? Do you know, do they want um, to get that promotion uh, or start a business? And then from there, I'll map out, okay, if I'm going to get them there, what are sort of three to five or a few of those key milestones they're going to have to hit to get to that point? And then under each of those, I'll write a few points as to what are they going to need to learn in order to hit that milestone. And then from there, I go right into starting to produce content. But each of those bullet points below a milestone can become a lesson. So that bullet point below the milestone uh, that is just a few words on the page can now, I can start turning that into, okay, I'm going to teach a two to seven minute video uh, lesson on this. And now you've essentially got your whole curriculum it maps all the way up to the transformation that you want to achieve. Uh, another step I do is I try and eliminate anything that isn't helping them get to that transformation. So we do have a tendency as so you know as so-called experts or someone who's passionate about something to overshare. Um, I'm sure I'm doing it a bit on this podcast, <laughs> but to overshare <laughs> stuff that isn't necessary to get to the result. And so I try and cut that all out. And you can always put that into your sort of extra materials area or. Uh, fun extra stuff you might want to know about, but keep it just to the things they need to know to get to the transformation. You've got those bullet points leading to a milestone. The milestones add up to the transformation and then each bullet point really just becomes a lesson. And now you've got a much less intimidating project in front of you because you can go take one bullet point and say, how am I going to teach that and create, say, say a two to seven minute video around it. And, uh, and once you've done all your, your videos, you can throw in a few quizzes and maybe some assignments and boom, you've got a course. And the other thing I do is I put a deadline in front of myself. So I try and do things in 30 days that way. 
My first course was built in 30 days. It was, you know, a tenth the course that I have now, but I got something out. People bought it. People gave feedback on it. People got value out of it. And then they told me what else they wanted to learn. And I was able to add to it and grow. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. Always tying it to an outcome, understanding the end result, and, you know, making sure that even as you're breaking it into sizable chunks, each of those parts of the outline are you know, action related, right? So this is the first step you need to, by this step, you need to achieve this. And these are the little ingredients that get there. The second step, these are the things that you want to get. Then this is how you build there. So just keeping people involved that way and making sure it's, it's focused. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, like you said, keeping people involved, there's a lot more you can do once you get like that sort of step one, you get it out in front of people, you start getting feedback and then you can do so much more around building community around your course and connecting with people, which will draw them back in and, and um, encourage them to kind of keep learning. And then you can, uh, you know, learn and grow from there and figure out how you can continuously improve and make that experience better for people. But the key thing for me is get something out in front of them, get them learning from it, and then start to add more and more to it and, and improve as you go. Yeah, the community aspect definitely definitely helps. Uh, so, what separates Thinkific from you know the Teachables, the Kajabis, you know the other companies that do similar things? Yeah, definitely. I'd say uh, a variety of things. One thing that sets us apart is um, we are really focused on the learning experience, and so creating and always have been a much better learning experience. So, whether that be around the idea of we have built-in communities, so you can build your own community around your course, but also the actual software itself is designed to um, both give you some feedback on how to do it, but um, make it easier for you to create a wonderful learning experience for your students. Um, so we focus on on figuring out how people learn and making it almost a no-brainer for you or automatic for you that your courses are going to be something that's well-designed as a product for people to get results because we believe that if you create success for your students that's actually the best source of, of future revenue for you or future students for you because they're going to tell their friends and they're going to come back and learn from you again in the future. So we really go deep on the actual product that you're creating that you can go and give value to your students. Yeah. But the other thing too is we find more and more people are graduating to us from our competitors as they see that we're better set up to support them at scale. And that really means two things. We've made massive investments into our server infrastructure, which is the technically complicated thing that most of us don't need to worry about. But it, what it translates to is on Black Friday uh, or whenever you're doing a big launch or a big sale or when you have a whole bunch of students come, uh, it will be there to support you. It's not going to go down. So we've invested a lot there. So everything is always fast and reliable and up and running. And then the other piece is that it's very customizable. So it's easy to get up and running out of the gate but it's also easy to customize it as you grow and scale. Because what I find is as people start to see more and more success, they really want to make it their own. And so we've created a platform that um, you can go in and, and design it and customize it to make it exactly what you want to the point now where I've taken courses on Think of Excites or seen Think of Excites where I didn't know, even taking a course on it, I didn't know it was Thinkific because it's so customized and so unique to the person who who wanted to teach that. So it's such a cool thing to do that, to see that people essentially can make it completely their own as if they had it fully custom built. Oh, that's good. So then can companies and enterprises use Thinkific for their employees? Uh, yes. So we, um, we generally, most of our, our clients are, um, 
educating stakeholders external to the organization. So your conventional learning management system in the past was always about teaching employees or teaching students within a school. Uh, we found what our sweet spot really is where people are teaching those external to the organization. Uh, so, you know, if you are teaching people who are employees in another organization, that kind of thing. Uh, that said, though, we are seeing more companies now even using it for um, uh, for their employee training. And we've launched our Plus product, which is really set up to support larger companies or individual course creators who've become quite successful and need more support around that. So we now have this higher level product that, that supports people at scale as they, as they really start to see success in their, in their educational venture. Yeah, that's good. Cause if, before I remember, I've been using Thinkific for a while, uh, full disclosure. And so, yeah, I remember that wasn't the case before. And I had, um, I, I had gotten this corporate client and we were talking about ways for me to expand and roll out the, the course. And I, I don't think the Thinkific was there yet, but it's good to see that you're expanding into that because I do think there's an opportunity for individual consultants who end up growing and scaling the businesses who will wound up ending, you know, wound up getting corporate clients who then want to be able to create that customizable experience for them as well without, you know, removing themselves from Thinkific platform. So, yep. yeah, yeah. And that, that, I, mean, I know that's, there's a lot of work there and you have to have like teams involved in single sign on and all these technicalities, but it's great to hear that that's where you're going in terms of that. So, cause I think there's a great opportunity there. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's been a lot of fun to see people growing with the platform and us be able to grow and support them. I mean, we're obviously still very, our core focus is still helping that individual or solopreneur or entrepreneur who wants to create their own course. But, um, we've now added this whole product where even a larger company can come in and, and build courses on it. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, let's talk more about the future of online business. You are someone that's been here now for about eight years, two college terms, essentially. What is, where do you see the future of online business going in terms of courses? Do you feel like there's going to be a shift or do you feel like it's going to pan out? Uh, just yeah. tap right up. Yeah. And to me, I see it a continuation of a, of a number of trends. Um, the first one is market forces that are driving this. And I, We've seen over the last decade that every, you know, across all sorts of demographics, more and more people are going online as their first place to learn something. So even five, 10 years ago, you'd have an empty nester who was looking to pick up a new hobby, uh, sign up at the local community college to go do a night class that wouldn't start for a month or two or three months. Uh, now, even, even your, your empty nester with little disposable income is hopping on their computer and trying to learn it right away from Google or YouTube or, or, and then that often leads into an online course. And so that trend uh, across all demographics is really driving the demand behind the entire industry. And so what we see is we're still at the early stages of a growth industry where, uh, the whole, course and membership industry is is scaling rapidly and it's going to continue to do so as more and more people continue to go online as their first place to learn and recognizing that uh, not really micro learning per se but but that rather than having to commit to four months at a college for a course they can go pick something up in a weekend or, or a week uh, of learning and so that's a huge driving force behind this that we continue to see driving it and scaling it but on the flip side of that, from the creator side, I see if you look back 10 years, you would find a lot of sites where someone would 
there'd be a PayPal button, you'd put in your credit card, and then you'd get sent to a page where you could click a link and download a zip file of videos. And that was your learning experience. Now you had like some videos and some PDFs maybe that you would download to your computer and you'd look at those and that was considered a course. Now I see the successful course creators going more and more towards really creating a wonderful student experience because they're recognizing this increases completion rates, um, which really means it's increasing the number of people who get to that moment of transformation or get that result that you promised them. And that is actually what's going to drive the success of course creators more and more in the future. I see the ones who care about that experience for their learners and they really care about delivering results and they're investing effort, effort, be it in the form of connection and community uh, or things like assignments uh, or um, uh, building a kind of unique or uh, even gamified student experience to pull people along and get them to result. People who are investing in those areas and it doesn't have to be a huge investment like our platform mm -hmm. makes a lot of this stuff super easy out of the box. But when you're investing there, we see more success for people because it creates the the results and results lead to positive online reviews, testimonials, referrals and repeat business right. with your students. Right. Right. OK. Well, no, that's great. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. So then how can people sign up to your to your platform if they want to? Join Thinkific. They've heard enough. They said, "Greg, you convinced me." Where would they go? <laughs> yeah, and I and I hope people do because I it's absolutely changed my life having my own course. It was what allowed me to leave law and and rely on my course revenue to um, start a company. Uh, and uh, which is kind of a weird path because I I left my course behind. It's still running, but um, anyway, if people want to get started, it's it really can be an amazing life changing experience to go be able to share your knowledge with the world. So I'd suggest they start out at thinkific.com. That's t h i n k i f i c dot com. Thinkific dot com, uh, and you can start for free and and go in and even create your first course for free and get things up and running. Yeah, yeah, and then the, depending on how much how much you grow, you, your tiers, you know, the different tiers. And it's, uh, no, it's really, it's really easy to put the platforms. I mean, you could, you know, put up videos, you could put up written material, you could create, you know, quizzes depending on the tier you are at, and you could start rolling it out in terms of getting your courses there. So, uh, I definitely love the platform and I'll be putting different links there in the show notes. I, I have a question that I always ask my guests, final question, and it's my mission statement reframed as a question. So Greg, how do you use your difference to make a difference? <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I think my, my strength and weakness sometimes is I care deeply about the people around me and I've been told it can, I think at times it can be a, a thing that pulls me away from my area of focus or pulls me into some difficult situations where I, I always want to help and dive in and help. And so I, I sometimes end up in some sticky situations because I'll volunteer to get into the worst situations I see around me, be it with family or friends or even a stranger on the street. But I think that's my, so it's, it's something I, I think makes me a little bit different is I'm always willing to dive in and, and help, but that's also translated to a really good team culture because uh, I, I always want to jump in and help people here at Thinkific. Um, and that's, I think, helped create some of this culture of inclusivity and helpfulness amongst the team here. Uh, so it's something that makes me a little bit different and it's, it's good and bad in different scenarios, but I, I make it my strength and, uh, and I think it's had a big impact, positive impact on the team culture here. Well, thanks for focusing on the strength aspect of that. I can definitely see how the, you know, that balance is needed because I'm, I'm very similar in that regard, but I want to thank you for coming on the show because you've not only taught us about the importance of, you know, figuring out your brand, but also how to actually 
line up your course and then the importance of creating a team as you build a business. You know, you, you spewed out some of the facts that diversity and inclusion bring, but you, you're someone who has been intentional about it. You've shown the, the, the way results, positive results can yield from that intentionality. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. The pleasure's mine. And uh, till next time, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.